Do you ever forget where you left your phone or keys? Trouble remembering somebody that you know, or maybe you're having trouble finding words. Your body is trying to tell you something about your brain. And this is all created by brain inflammation. On today's episode, we are going to discuss how inflammation is a contributing factor to this and the five pillars of what to do to address it. Are you struggling with bloating, gas, constipation, and fatigue, but don't know what's causing these problems? The Gut Health Reset Podcast with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter dives deep into the root causes behind these issues that start in the gut. This podcast will give you the knowledge you need to heal your gut and reset your health. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and you are listening to the Gut Health Reset Podcast. My special guest today is Alexis Appleberry, who is the nutritionist at Alternative Family Medicine, and she is fabulous. And so we are going to go into all these things. You do not want to miss this episode today. She not only has a certification as being a certified functional diagnostic nutrition provider, which is basically a functional um, nutritionist, but she also has incredible training for over 10 years from Datis Karazian, who has really pioneered a lot of the food sensitivity, a lot of the gut health, and he is a Harvard research fellow. So her additional training came from that, as well as her passion to help people because she had her own struggle. And I'll let her tell you specifically about that. But Alexis is amazing. And I think at the end of this episode, if you feel like, hey, I've got these things that she's talking about, I'm going to encourage you to head over to our practice website, which I really never talk about on the podcast, which is altaltfammedmed.com. And it's short for Alternative Family Medicine. And I'm just going to have you book a consultation with her because I think that she can get to the root cause of your symptoms. And her and I work very closely together. Um, so anyway, uh, reach out, you know, email if you guys have any questions. We always thank you for uh, listening and we're just so grateful for you guys. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Alexis, it is so great to have you back. You know, I personally enjoy talking to you and touching base. And we definitely communicate throughout the week. And we are doing another episode because the last episode, the feedback was amazing. So I think that we should get into brain health, right? It is such an important topic. And this is something that I'm really passionate about. And you know, my training with Tis Karazian and, you know, he's just really got some phenomenal training on neurodegeneration and brain fog and pretty much all things brain. That seems to be his sweet spot, right? I think that's yeah, what he absolutely. really likes to talk about. All right. I think, and I think personally, one of the most common things that a, a patient will complain of when they initially come in is brain fog or, or a little bit of memory issues. So, First, let's let's kind of define brain fog and the symptoms of brain fog. Brain fog is just simply brain inflammation. So when there's inflammation in the brain, it slows down the conductivity or the communication between the neurons. And so then the brain tires more easily. 
But more specifically, the most important part of the brain's immune system is the microglial cells. These are the immune cells in the brain. And what they do is they rummage around and they eat up debris like dead neurons, antigens, amyloid plaques. And when there is inflammation, these microglial cells are distracted away from that job. And then they are not cleaning up the debris. And so then the neurons have a harder time communicating with each other because they're cleaning up that debris and making it clear for the neurons to communicate back and forth. And that's what causes the brain fog. So when the microglial cells can't do their job, what, what do people present with clinically? Like, you know, maybe the conditions that people will present with other than brain fog. Yeah. A loss of words, short-term memory loss, just not able to concentrate, losing their keys. Um, sometimes they'll even get headaches. So it's really just overall low mental speed. Sometimes they might feel a little lightheaded. Those are the most common symptoms. And then when it becomes more pathological, what do we see? We see depression. You know, we start to see some, you know, some more mental issues going on there. So what is causing brain inflammation? There are so many different things that can cause inflammation, right? Anything that can cause inflammation systemically can cause inflammation in the brain. So when it comes to inflammation, you know, first things that we want to look at is like, what's the source, right? What's, what's causing the inflammation? And I always look at five things, foods, bugs. And when I say bugs, I mean, bacterial infections, viruses, parasites, toxins, stress, and hormones, which is why we test, right? Because you could have five different people coming in with the same symptom could find five different causes. Exactly. So when we break this down one by one, you know, we did a pretty good job on the last episode, I think about talking about the, the foods that are going to cause um, brain inflammation. So if you miss that episode, it's what you ought to know about food sensitivities. Very, very important. So what, uh, what types of bugs, as a general rule, you don't have to dig into the minutia, but what types of real bugs are causing brain inflammation and where are these bugs? Uh, well, you know, I mean, bacterial infections, anything that affects the gut for the most part is going to affect the brain. So I'm sure that you've heard of, you know, a lot of people have heard of the gut brain connection. So there, there's a couple of different reasons for that. It's because that the vagus nerve connects the brain to the gut and the gut actually has a second brain. It has 50 million neurons and there's actually more impulses that are sent from the gut to the brain. And the proteins that can, that are, that are, that are, that are, are in the gut that can be broken down during leaky gut are the same ones can be broken down in the brain and cause, um, you know, a leaky brain as well. So any bacterial infections in the gut, any viruses, um, any of that can affect the brain as well. Okay. And I think that's great. We, we tapped on that a little bit in the last episode as well. What toxins are going to create inflammation in the brain, potentially leading to brain fog? Yeah, well, there's been a lot of studies on BPA. 
So BPA is, is certainly one of them. Um, but there's a number of different environmental chemicals. I mean, you know, anything can affect the brain because the toxins like to get deposited in fat and the brain's all fat. So it's another reason why, you know, if somebody does have exposure to toxins, you have to be really careful how you're removing those, especially if somebody has a compromised blood brain barrier, because you can remove the toxins from one part of the body and they can redistribute in the brain. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So what is, first off, um, what is, where's BPA found? Um, plastics. No, I mean, and plastics are everywhere. If you think about it, I mean, everything you pick up at the grocery store is probably wrapped in plastic. No, and then you absolutely want to avoid heating up any Tupperware in the microwave. And the reason why is because the heat will release it. So having plastic bottles and leaving them in the sun and then drinking out of the water bottles is really going to, you know, up your BPA level. Mm -hmm. And I think that everybody can agree. We've all done that. We don't think about that being a major concern. There has been more information coming out about plastics and people are now switching to glass or other stainless steel that can actually be a little bit safer. Right. But but yeah, plastic's very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. What about other types of toxins like mold? Mold is absolutely a big one. I mean, it's it is it's a neurotoxin. And a lot of times when we see people that have mold exposure, they will present with neurological symptoms. You know, they have brain fog, they can't think well, they're coming down with headaches. Um, yeah, mold is a, is a huge one and it really gets overlooked quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a pretty silent killer um, in a lot of ways. It definitely dysregulates everything, the immune system. As you know, it dysregulates dopamine, serotonin, all your neurotransmitters. You just, you can't even get out of bed when there's a lot of mold exposure. What about heavy metal exposure? Yeah, well, heavy metals is another one that, you know, Again, the brain's all fat, so they want to get deposited in the brain. And, you know, any of those toxins is going to cause a lot of inflammation and it can break down the blood-brain barrier and you're going to get brain fog. You're going to get all those symptoms that we just talked about. And you made an interesting point. Um, You said something about detoxification. You have to be careful how you detoxify patients, which I 100% agree with and um, feel the same way. Um, And sometimes you just can't, dive in to detoxing all these things because their detox pathways aren't running well. And I'm assuming that's what you meant when you said you have to be careful about detoxifying folks, making sure you're doing these things in the correct order to be able to to get this out of of the body. Um, So are there any safe ways to detoxify or, or what do you mean when you say we need to be careful how we detoxify? Right. Just like you said. So we do need to make sure that those detoxification pathways are open. So we want to make sure that we're supporting the liver, make sure that they're getting enough of B vitamins. You want to make sure that the kidneys and the bile and everything is working properly so that they can flush them out. Um, but, you know, when you talk about removing heavy metals, you want to make sure that they don't have parasites because the parasites will feed on the heavy metals. So if you start to pull out the heavy metals, before the parasites, you could feed the parasites and that could, that can aggravate a lot of things too. So 
I know there were doctors in the past that were doing chelation. And I think that as of recent, they found out that that's, that it can be dangerous in some cases because they're pulling the metals out of the body too quickly. And these people have compromised blood brain barriers, then they're actually making them worse instead of better. So we need to go really slowly, make sure that we support those pathways and then using things like glutathione and some really great binders to help slowly pull them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I was actually one of those, um, one of those people about 12 years ago, I did, um, chelations, um, intravenous chelations. And, um, I, it was too much for my body where I was at the time. And so I actually crawled to the bathroom. And since then I have learned that genetically I have a SNP and what's called the glutathione pathway and the phosphatidylcholine pathway that completely affects my detox pathways. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I crawled to the bathroom and vomited for about 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. Heavy metal detox in that way is not for me. I know some people have found amazing benefits, but the research kind of is split on a lot of the heavy metal detoxification and how you do it. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit split there. Um, so yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And the order is very, very important. So I agree with that. All right. The big elephant in the room stress. I mean, I just don't know about you, but I think stress kind of seems like a badge of honor. Like, Oh, I'm so, I'm so stressed out. How are you? Oh, I'm stressed. You know, it's become almost this emotion, um, associated kind of like, but it, it's, it's well-liked. It's okay to be stressed, right? It's okay to... Right, right, right. It means you're doing right? something. Yeah, yeah you're not you're lazy. Something. Yeah, exactly. So what is stress doing here? So one of the first things that stress is going to affect is actually your memory. So because when we're stressed out, we're producing lots of cortisol and cortisol will destroy the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is where you store your long-term memory. So you can start to see memory problems when people get stressed out. And then again, we were talking about the gut last week and, you know, stress is horrible for the gut as well. You know, you're going to not going to be able to get circulation to the gut and anything that affects the gut is eventually going to affect the brain. And anything that affects the brain is eventually going to affect the gut because there's so many impulses that go back forth in between the two. With the cortisol, um, so if I'm constantly stressed out, oh, I'm so stressed. Oh, I, you know, I, whatever, right? So, what happens to our digestion? You said, you know, it there's a decrease in blood flow. So, what's actually going on when we're stressed out to our digestion? Well, what's happening is that your body is sending all of the blood flow to your to your extremities, so so you so you can fight or flight. And and as a result, it's taking all of that circulation away from your organs. So your digestion slows down, you're not getting blood flow, and the stress is also horrible for your immune system because it's not time for you to rest and restore. It's time for you to fight or flight. And because we live in such busy lifestyles that, you know, we're always running around, there's always something to take care of. You got to take the kids to soccer, you know to school and we're not having enough time to rest and restore. And it's a really having quite an effect on our society 
And they say as many as 80% of the conditions are somewhat stress-related today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a big one. I I want to take a second. What do you think is one of the best things or um, uh, you know, treatment tools that people can do for stress? My favorite is meditation. So that absolutely changed my life, you know, but I've got some, you know, I've got a a comp snip. I've got some, I've got some predispositions to having, you know, a very busy brain and the meditation has just been absolutely wonderful because it actually retrains your brain to calm down. And the more that you are in sympathetic mode or when you're relaxed, your brain can create plasticity for that in the same way. When I mean plasticity, I mean that the neurons are firing really quickly together and it's very easy for you to do that. So it becomes second nature. So in the same way that your brain can become plastic to stress and more apt to stress, you can retrain it the opposite and you can also train it to calm down more quickly. And meditation is a great tool for that. But, you know, you don't necessarily have to meditate, but doing anything else that calms you down exercise is really excellent for that as well. Yoga is another great one. You know, what's interesting is when you look at stress and someone's really stressed out and they're like, I don't have time for meditation. Just give me a supplement. I'll detox the mold. I will, um, I, and give me something for the bugs. And, and I don't know about you, but I have found that those people are not as successful on protocols because they're so in this fight or flight mode and they can't detoxify out in their body exactly. And they don't heal as well. I'm assuming you've seen a lot of the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can't get somebody to comply to lifestyle recommendations, you know, it can really be an uphill climb because that stress is just so hard on the immune system and their bodies doesn't take time to rest and restore. Exactly. I I think stress is huge. I'm, I'm with you. So many people struggle with bloating, bowel issues, brain fog, fatigue. You might not even have any gut issues, but did you know the cause of it could be food sensitivities or gut infections? What I have done is I have brought a talented functional nutritionist into my practice. We have very similar training in the nutritional world. And her name is Alexis Appleberry, who you are hearing on this episode. She is awesome. So you can head on over to our website, Alt, A-L-T, FAM, F-A-M, Med, M-E-D, and have a consultation with her and schedule so that she can help you get to the root cause of your problems. Hormones. How are those involved in brain inflammation and and how does that affect our brain? Hormones are really vital for your brain. So for a man, the frontal lobe needs testosterone. And for a woman, she needs estrogen. So it's really, really protective. And estrogen also protects the hippocampus, which again, what I was talking about is cortisol will destroy the hippocampus. And so then some of these women hit menopause or these men hit andropause, and then they start to have more brain symptoms because you're not getting the protective effects of the hormones. And the hormones will also uh, sensitize the neurotransmitters that we need. So if you don't have enough testosterone, it can, it can actually affect dopamine as well. And for a woman, if she doesn't have enough estrogen, 
you know, that can affect her neurotransmitters like serotonin and progesterone as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we see just in, in men in general, right. As, as men's inflammation goes up, testosterone goes down, right. Cause they have an inverse relationship. So as we see, as we see inflammation climb, it'll crash. And I, I don't know about you, but I've seen men that are actually using bioidentical or hormone replacement for testosterone, right? And as long as their lifestyle has tons of inflammation, they're not getting the benefits of that. They don't feel any different. They don't feel any better utilizing that because the inflammation is still there. And then suddenly when we figure out what's creating the inflammation or even just do a stop gap in the meantime, like turmeric is a big one. We use, you know, turmero through apex. Um, it tends to help with some of those symptoms, you know, regulating blood sugar, et cetera. And then estrogen, I think on the other side, you know, as women's, um, inflammation goes up, their hormones go down, right. As stress goes up, et cetera. So yeah, I think the hormones are very protective because you don't see a man, you don't see a woman that's, um, that's 21 that has brain deterioration and she's, you know, she's been diagnosed with dementia, Alzheimer's, whatever it is. You don't see that. You see that with an 80 year old. What's the major difference there? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, they are, they're very neuroprotective, very neuroprotective. And I'm, I'm seeing a a lot of patients that are doing well on HRT. I mean, that's not necessarily where we'll go to upfront. Like you were talking about first, we want to look at root causes as to why they're not making their own hormones. But I mean, if they really do have a deficiency, I mean, some people are doing really well mm-hmm. for on sure the bio, on the bioidentical. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Bioidentical, not hormone replacement. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I remember sitting in a seminar um, and they were talking about brain deterioration it was actually one of Dottis's, uh, Dr. Karazian's um, seminars and I remember that <laughs> this part of the seminar, it said, an early sign of brain deterioration is the people that set their phone or set their keys down somewhere and are looking for it. And I'm like sweating in this seminar, like, uh, that's totally me. They're like, this is the first sign of brain starting to deteriorate. So can you touch on that maybe just a little bit and kind of what's going on with that? Sure. Yeah. Detise is great for putting the fear of God into you for taking care of your brain. <laughs> And I mean, you cannot go to a brain seminar and in with him not stand on his soapbox, but he's right. You know, we really need to be addressing these things 10 to 15 years before you're getting a diagnosis because the process can take that long. So if you're not paying attention to these little things like forgetting words, having brain fog, forgetting items, Another early sign and symptom is a verbal spatial memory. So looking at something and remembering what it was or remembering names, those are early signs. Um, You know, and then when we talk about Parkinson's, some of the early signs for Parkinson's are uh, digestive issues because Parkinson's starts in the gut. So we're looking at constipation, loss of smell. And the smells that you lose first is going to be coffee, anise, and peppermint. Now, another one for Parkinson's is going to be like a masked face or quiet voice. So somebody that's moving slowly. 
And for Parkinson's, another one um, can be a restless sleep or it could be small handwriting. So as your handwriting gets smaller as you get older. And what do we do when we're starting? Oh no, I'm starting to forget words. What do you think the first step is in that process? The first thing you got to do is you got to reduce as much inflammation as possible. And then again, we're looking at those five sources. So you got to be looking at your foods. You got to make sure your diet's good. And you got to be looking at foods. You got to remove inflammation from bugs, toxins, stress, and hormones. So you got to start there. But then, I mean, really the brain needs three things. The brain needs fuel. So you have to balance your blood sugar. That's important. It needs stimulation, right? So activity, exercises, memory exercises, brain exercises. And then the third thing that the brain needs is circulation. So again, that's where exercise really comes in handy. So that's what you have to do to take care of the brain. But if we wait and we don't address the inflammation and these other factors, it just progresses. So, I mean, it's, it's really something that you need to get on top of sooner than later. Mm -hmm. I agree. And when you say balance the blood sugar, that was key in saying, Hey, I need to balance the blood sugar. What does that look like? Well, you know, Alzheimer's disease has been called a type three diabetes. So some of these people really have chronically low blood sugar. So it's really important for you to balance your blood sugar throughout the day. But then again, on the other side, people have type two, you know, all that excess blood sugar is actually really bad for the brain as well. It can break down the brain. So it's really important that you balance your blood sugar. And another great way to do that, really the best fuel for the brain is the ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. So those ketones are really healthy for the brain. So if we see somebody going through, you know, a lot of brain issues or even traumatic brain injuries after a while, we will put them on a ketogenic diet to help heal the brain. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about blood sugar swings? Like, uh, I, I go all day without eating and then I'll eat a huge dinner. And then I drink a ton of coffee in the morning. I'll have some sugar in the afternoon and then I'll eat a balanced dinner. What, what do you say about the, what do you think of the blood sugar swings per se? Well, it's just, if that's not balanced, if, if the blood sugar swing too far down or too high up, I mean, it's, it's not balanced. And so we really need do need to have steady fuel. So for some people going on a ketogenic diet is not going to work for them. Mm-hmm. right away, or even doing intermittent fasting, because we have to make sure their blood sugar is balanced out first. Now, once they go from burning glucose to burning fat or ketones, then we're going to have that steady blood sugar again. Mm-hmm. And how long do you think that process takes to go from burning um, sugars to burning fat? Because I think a lot of people have trouble with that transition. Yeah, a lot of people do. And it really depends. I mean, some people just naturally are going to make more ketones and it's easier for them to get into ketosis. It's usually about two days for most people. And then in the meantime, while they're getting low on glucose and they're not quite burning those ketones yet, they can get what we call keto flu and not feel so great during that transition. But, you know, there's some supplements and things that we can give people to support them through that to get them into um, ketosis a little faster, like exogenous ketones. Here's the biggest thing I hear day in and day out when there's memory loss, 
when there is brain fog. Well, I'm just getting older. Isn't this normal for me to start forgetting words? This is just a process of aging, right? No, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, I think we've all seen people that are in their 90s or, you know, that are still running around and having a full life, you know, riding bicycles and hiking. Those are the people that have healthy brains. That is what makes you lose your mobility when you get older is when your brain starts to break down. So it's not normal. doesn't have to be that way. It's just that we've grown up seeing so many of our relatives just to generate that we think that it's normal. But we have so much more science now that can show us how to support the brain. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, just like, like using hormones and, you know, pulling the toxins from our bodies and really eating these anti-inflammatory foods and then doing the right exercises and then continually learning because that's really the key because we are going to lose neurons throughout our lifetime. But what we can do is we can create more neural, neuroplasticity. And what that means is that the neurons that we do have, they're connecting and they're firing and they're wiring more effectively. And that's what can really help give us or maintain our quality of life. So always learning new things and doing things for our brains is really what we need to do to keep our brains healthy, along with reducing inflammation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So one last important question on the brain, how are the immune system and the brain connected? Okay, well, you know, if the immune system becomes dysregulated, so we know that our immune system makes antibodies, right? And typically the antibodies, they have, they will go after things like pathogens, and they will remember the pathogens. The next time you're exposed to it, the immune system will attack it. Well, the problem is, is that when we have chronic inflammation, when our immune system has been stressed for a long time, the immune system gets confused. And then we start to make these things called autoantibodies. <clears throat> and so the antibodies, they tag tissues for destruction. And one of those tissues can be the brain. And so then when there's a trigger, and gluten is a common trigger, then the immune system attacks the brain tissue. And then we can really get some serious diseases. And now we're finding out that many of these neurodegenerative diseases have an autoimmune component to them, like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and MS. Again, I'm assuming that the answer is the same. We go back through, we have to reduce the inflammation. We have to reduce the foods that are triggers, food sensitivities. We have to reduce the gut bugs. We have to address the gut because it's the gut-brain connection. The toxins, specifically BPA, heavy metals, mold, anything else you're being exposed to. Stress, huge one. You said 80% of all diseases and hormones, which are incredibly neuroprotective. Is there anything else that you think is important in regulating the immune system that we didn't touch on? Uh, good relationships. Mm, that's a good Ab one. Absolutely. You know, because good relationships and, and laughing and producing opioids are very, very important. So I'm sure you've seen this before, too, is that when you have people that are not in supportive relationships or in toxic relationships, they don't get better. It's, it's, it's really an uphill climb for them. 
Mm-hmm. So ha- having our connection with, you know, other humans and having great relationships is one of the healthiest things we can do. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's very, very true. So is there anything that we didn't really touch on with fatigue or with brain fog that you think is important? I just think that it's really important that we address any brain related issues before they progress to disease state. So if you're having any issues, slow words, you know, your memory is going, <clears throat> you really need to start to do something about it, you know, sooner than later. And there's some really great apps out there. You know, there's luminosity, there is um, Cognifit, which is a really good one. So we really need to do things to enhance our brain stimulation and exercising is a great one as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Um, it, this has been very insightful. It's just been such an interesting podcast, so user-friendly. And so it's just been a pleasure to have you. So thank you for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Gut Health Reset Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review so more people can hear about the podcast. And hey, take a screenshot of this episode and tag Dr. Anne Marie on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Anne Marie Barter. And for more resources, just visit DrAnneMarieBarter.com.